welcome to another episode of Politely Rude with Abby Johnson. I am Abby Johnson and I am uh, thankful to all of you who are listening and um, I'm really, really excited. So my best friend in the world kept telling me, there's a guy you need to have on your podcast. And um, she kept telling me about all the stuff he was talking about and and I said, well, who is it? And she said, Alex Newman. I said, well, I know, I know who that is. And uh, she said, well, he's got this awesome story. I did not know some of your story, Alex. I know, I know some of the things you talk about. I did not know though about the, um, the school issues that you guys had in Canada, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, we have been battling the public school establishment for a long time. And uh, one of the things that's happened in Canada that I think should serve as a real warning to Americans and people who are interested in Christian education or homeschooling, and it hasn't just been in Canada, it happened in in Sweden as well. We were there, we had a front row seat to this. It was horrible. Um, They basically... Uh, used government funding of private schools, Christian schools as a pretext to take out all real education freedom. And so uh, we were living in Sweden, not on purpose. So my wife is from there is how uh, how that happened. But uh, we were living in Sweden. Uh, I moved there in 2009. And uh, some years before that, they had passed uh, what they called uh, school choice legislation. And they said, uh, you know, the government should be funding private schools, the government should be funding Christian schools, etc. cetera. Uh, and so then in 2011, uh, I've been living there a couple of years. Uh, we had just had our first son and uh, the government comes along and uh, under the leadership of one of the supposed freedom parties and says, uh, hey, you know, we can't have all these schools teaching whatever they want. We can't have these schools uh, asking children to read the Bible or praying. And so they said any school that takes uh, public money that's taking government funds uh, is hereby ordered to teach the government curriculum. And uh, there could be no more Bible reading. There could be no more prayer. There could be no more Christian stuff in your Christian schools. And uh, that basically sucked in every single school in Sweden. Uh, My understanding is that there was one school for the aristocrats that never took the government money. Uh, They do have an aristocracy in Sweden. They still have a monarchy. You know, they have a king and all that. Uh, So that school didn't take it, but the others did. And in that same legislation, they uh, went ahead and banned homeschooling. And uh, that's when things started getting really, really weird. Um, you know, I, I, the Alliance Defending Freedom contacted me, and so did um, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. They said, look, this is a, an incredible violation of human rights. They're persecuting homeschoolers. Uh, I wasn't really up to speed on homeschooling at that time. I, I knew I wasn't a fan of the government schools, but had not really ventured into that. But I started digging into this, and, and sure enough, uh, the government was kidnapping homeschooled children. Probably the best known case is Dominic Johansson, um, a, a little boy who was being homeschooled. And when the government banned homeschooling, the um, the regime determined that they were going to go grab this child. So the family left the country where they were planning to leave the country. The mother was from India, so they were going to go continue their homeschooling in India. And they were on a, a flight. They were going to fly to India via Turkey. I believe it was a Turkish airliner's flight. And they sent the police on armed and grabbed this child and removed him from the airplane, removed him from his parents. Uh, he is now, uh, he was, I think, eight years old at the time. 
Uh, he has now aged out of the foster care system. So um, he was removed from his parents and the family was destroyed. Uh, they were, you know, kicking in doors. Um, it was just a, a very traumatic experience. I, I wrote articles about it for probably six or eight American publications and publications around the world. The Swedish government did not care. But one of the things that was encouraging um, is that other than the children that they kidnapped, as far as I know, they didn't get a single additional student in their government schools. Uh, most of the families either fled or went underground. And so I actually marched through uh, downtown Stockholm with uh, a lot of these families. I think about 100 families marched through downtown Stockholm. They stopped at the education ministry. They posted their uh, complaints there. The education minister who was responsible for this atrocity would not talk to them. And so they got on a ship and they sailed to a Finnish island where they speak Swedish called Oland. And uh, the education minister greeted them there and uh, said, you know, welcome to Finland. Uh, Here, parents have the authority and the responsibility over the education of their children. So that for me was a real warning sign you know, uh, w- uh, what I noticed during my time there is that Sweden is typically 10 or 20 years ahead of the craziness that eventually comes to the United States. And that was true with the trans stuff. It was true with the abortion. It was true with uh, homosexual marriage. And so I think it's a, a powerful warning for Americans that the totalitarians do intend to crush educational freedom and we need to be on guard. So what do you think about, you mentioned school choice and there's a lot of that. I mean, I'm, I'm here in Texas and, uh, this legislative session, everybody was talking about school choice. Do you think that is something that is good? Do you feel like that is allowing the government in, in a bad way to private schools? I mean, generally private schools are, they don't want government help, right? They don't want the government interfering. So, I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's a good question. And you know, I'll start off by saying that the vast majority of the people I know who are supporting what's described as school choice are really great, great people, great Christians, great Americans. Um, they want the best. And, uh, you know, we share ultimately the same objective. We want to get children out of these government schools that are indoctrinating them against God, against truth, against patriotism, against their church, against their family, uh, dumbing them down uh, objectively, right? The government's own numbers prove that uh, the kids are getting dumber and dumber and dumber. Uh, they're also being sexualized. And so we, we, you know, we share the same objective in that we want to protect children from this. The question is one of means. And, uh, you know, what happened in Sweden has happened in many other places. It happened in Australia. It happened in Canada. In fact, it's already happening in the United States. And so I would say on the idea of school choice, I am 100% in favor of school choice in terms of parents should have the ability to freely choose what kind of education they want for their children. If you want to homeschool your children, you should be able to do that. If you want to send your kids to a Christian school, you should be able to do that. If you want to send them to a secular school, you should be able to do that. This is a a decision for parents to make, not for government. Where I think the problem comes in is, you know, who should be funding that? Uh, I don't believe that the government should be funding education, period. I mean, ultimately, and and this sounded radical some years ago, but I think more and more people are are starting to wake up to this. You know, we don't want the government involved in our schools any more than we should want the government involved in our churches. Uh, It's a very, very dangerous thing for the government to be determining what people will learn, when they will learn it, how they will learn it. Um, And what happens inevitably when government funds something is government ends up controlling that thing. Uh, we saw it just very recently with the, the COVID thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Supreme Court struck down Joe Biden's uh, COVID vaccine mandates when it came to private employers. But when it came to hospitals, what the Supreme Court said was, well, if the hospital is taking federal dollars for Medicaid or for Medicare, then they must enforce these vaccine mandates. And so what you find is that, uh, and this has been true, not just in the United States, uh, historically all over the world, when the government 
government starts funding something, the control inevitably follows. And so I think that's a very big risk. Uh, I think there are much better ways to um, facilitate an exodus from the public school system than having the government take over our private schools. And, uh, you know, I'm not opposed necessarily to tax credits if they're genuine tax credits. Uh, yeah, for me, it's disgusting. I, I pay more money to uh, the government school system here where I live in Florida than I spend uh, to, to educate my own five children uh, through homeschooling. Right. And, and that's outrageous. Why should I spend you know $3,000 a year to brainwash other people's children when I can give my own five children a world-class education for a fraction of that? It makes no sense. And, and I mean, there's an, an obvious sense of injustice there. But there are better ways of dealing with this than saying, well, the government's still going to take my $3,000, but then they're going to give me back a portion of that with strings attached or, or really with handcuffs attached, as the case mm -hmm. may be. Uh, and that is what has happened historically. So school choice is great. Educational liberty is great. But I think we put that all at risk when we say that the government should start funding uh, all of these things. And again, I say that with the utmost respect for people on the other side of this. There are a lot of great people who do think that this is the best way to get children out of the public schools. I get it. I just think uh, is there's a very, very big danger that we're going to end up um, really losing educational freedom. And, and, and again, to, to be clear, we've seen this already in the United States, uh, in the state of New York. They're now coming after the Jewish schools, the yeshivas, because they take government money and they're not teaching what the government thinks should be taught. Uh, and this has been a you know major scandal. Uh, the New York Times has been agitating against this. Uh, the state government is saying that they, these Jewish schools, these yeshivas have to provide an education that is, and I'm quoting, they're uh, substantially equivalent to what the public schools are providing. And of course, the reason people don't use public schools is because they don't want an education substantially equivalent to what the public schools are providing. So it's a big danger. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that the conversation is moving in this direction, Abby. The fact that we're now discussing what's the best way to get kids out of the public schools rather than what's the best way to reform the public schools, I think is really encouraging. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I'm, I'm finding more and more, um, I guess, people are being creative with how they're homeschooling their kids. You know, I think for a long time, the argument was, even if it was a single mom, you know, she was like, well, I can't, I can't because I'm a single mom. So how am I going to do it? But now I'm even seeing single moms saying, okay, I'm going to do a job from home so that I can homeschool my kids. You know, it's gotten that out of control that the parents are saying, I'm going to take a different job. I'm going to, you know, do completely different things in our household. We're going to, you know, shake things up as much as we have to, just so that my kids are not going to a government school. And I mean, that's, it's really a sad state of affairs for our education system. Um, but I do think that we are going to continue to see this kind of exodus from the government schools, because I think that the left, they, the more they keep pushing these radical agendas, I think they're losing their base. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I think people are waking up. Yeah, they are. Uh, and, and the polling data shows this. Uh, uh, public trust in public schools has never been lower. Uh, something like, I, I forget the latest numbers, but I think it was like less than one fourth of Americans have uh, confidence in the public schools. Uh, I'm frankly amazed that it's that high. Uh, all you have to do is look at the government's own numbers. The federal government will tell you that less than a third of the victims of the public schools are even proficient in any 
core subject, right? English, math, science, history, civics. Um, it, it is atrocious what's going on. They're being uh, sexualized in ways that would have been inconceivable even just a few years ago. Uh, kindergartners being told that they might have been born in the wrong body and that, that if they'll go get castrated or get a hysterectomy and a double mastectomy, they can be their true self. I mean, this kind of stuff is so outrageous. You feel ridiculous even saying it. Um, and parents are seeing this. And, and you know, the polling data shows that even Democrats, even liberals don't want their children exposed to this kind of stuff. So the question is, what more is it going to take? Um, and we have seen an exodus of millions of families uh, just over the last few years. In fact, the U.S. Census Bureau during COVID found that the number of homeschooling families had doubled uh, in, in just a period of a couple of years during COVID as, as parents were realizing what was going on. Uh, and I think we will see much more of that. And so then the challenge for the educational establishment that is determined to, to indoctrinate our children is how do we rope these kids back in? And that's what they're working on now. Uh, UNESCO, which, you know, a lot of Americans don't pay much attention to UNESCO. We should be paying attention to UNESCO. That's the UN Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, uh, huge supporter of abortion, huge supporter of sexualizing kids, uh, constantly working with Planned Parenthood. Um, they have actually put out a, a report just uh, less than two years ago where they specifically advocated the strategy that I just described, that governments should start funding private schools so that they can regulate private schools, so that they can impose the uh, curricular and standards requirements, so they can impose the testing requirements. And, um, you know, you, you got to give kudos to the Catholics uh, in America. They understood the threat of having the government educate children long before um, Protestants in America came to understand this. There's a fascinating history there. Um, you know, the Catholics uh, over 100 years ago said, hey, we, we don't want our kids in these public schools because uh, they're going to be indoctrinated against our faith. And uh, we're not OK with that. So they built this enormous and, and really fast, uh, just a, a wonderful network of parochial schools that uh, educated millions and millions of young Catholics uh, in their faith and, and also provided a very good academic education when it comes to math and English and science. Uh, Protestants didn't really catch on to this until about the 1970s or so, you know, after the Supreme Court ruled that you couldn't have the Bible and you couldn't have prayer anymore. That's when they said, wait a minute here, you <laughs> know, what's going on? Um, and so now we're starting to see more and more you know, uh, Protestant schools, Presbyterian schools, Baptist schools pop up, and that's encouraging. But um, I, I think we really do need to recognize that this is the key battle. Uh, like you, I've been seeing more and more single moms. In fact, we, uh, my wife has uh, even helped a single mom who said, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, sending my, my daughter to a, a public school. And so uh, I think when, when there's a will, there's a way. And when you have grandparents and, and the growing homeschool communities all over this country, it is feasible. It is possible. There's a lot of Christian schools that have scholarships available. And so, you know, I, I believe this is really the most urgent issue facing our country right now. It, it's the one thing that if we don't get a handle on this, um, we're going to lose everything. You know, we're going to lose our churches, our country, our freedoms. Um, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to defeat the uh, the pro-abortionists, the 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 globalists, the the people who want to dismantle uh, the U.S. Constitution. There's no way that's going to be stopped if they succeed in indoctrinating 80 percent of our children. It's just not going to happen. Right. All right. So I want to talk to you about something that, I mean, I get, you probably consider yourself an expert on it. And I feel like a lot of people don't even know what transhumanism is. So can you just explain that just, you know, as if nobody understands what it is, can you just kind of lay it out for us? Sure. And it, so it is the next step 
on the crazy train, right? A lot of people were thinking the transgender stuff was the last stop on the crazy train. It's not. Um, the, the next one will be transhumanism. And that's not my opinion. That's the opinion of some of the leading advocates of the transgender movement, like uh, Rothblatt, right? Wrote a whole book on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of transhumanism, to try to summarize it very concisely, is that we need to transcend uh, not just our gender or our sex, but also our very humanity. And so uh, the people who are promoting this movement, very, very powerful people, uh, Ray Kurzweil, the chief of engineering at Google, uh, one of the most powerful and one of the most wicked companies on the planet. Uh, People like uh, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, advisor to Klaus Schwab, a keynote speaker at the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, his books endorsed by Barack Obama and Angela Merkel and um, the guy who runs Facebook, (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg. Um, Very, very influential people. Uh, They believe that we are going to be upgrading humans. Uh, at least some humans, right? Um, and and so this comes in various different forms and different guises. Uh, one of the big threads that runs through this is upgrading ourselves technologically. And so Klaus Schwab himself, the head of the World Economic Forum, uh, he wrote a book on what he calls the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And uh, really the major theme in here is upgrading humanity using technology. And one of the things that he says in his book, and he's repeated this many times in interviews, is that uh, our smartphones, which you know I, I don't have one, I never have, and God willing, I never will. But our smartphones, he says, are not just going to stop at becoming part of the world around us. He says they're going to become part of us. We're going to end up implanting these. Um, in fact, he has, has spoken numerous times publicly about uh, the looming merger of the human brain with technology to the point where they think they're going to be installing microchips into people's heads that will connect directly with the brain and the technological world. And I realize that sounds like bad science fiction, but that technology is already here. In fact, Elon Musk's company, Neuralink, is running human trials right now. They've proven the concept. It works. They can read the brain waves. They can even write on the brain. So these things are much closer than people realize. Um, Then there's also... uh, on parallel with that is the genetic modification of human beings. And again, this is not something that's new. The technology already exists. They've been doing it for a long time. Things like CRISPR, where they can snip pieces of genetic code and insert new genes into that genetic code. Um, Bill Gates has been advocating this publicly for for many, many years now. He did an article in uh, the magazine Foreign Affairs, the publication of the Council on Foreign Relations. I call it deep state headquarters in the United States, if you will. Um, It's called Gene Editing for Good. And he makes the argument that we need to start genetically modifying everything. You know, we already genetically engineer our crops. We are already starting to genetically engineer our livestock. Why not babies? Right. It'll be for their own benefit. We'll make them better. They'll be less likely to have a disease or, you know, whatever the case may be. And frankly, uh, my view is, you know, God wrote my genetic code. I, I have absolutely no desire to let fallen, sinful human beings manipulate or change my genetic code or the genetic code of my children. But this is what they're working toward as we speak right now. Uh, These technologies are are very far advanced. And ultimately, you know, and again, this is not my opinion. These are these people themselves saying it. Uh, They believe that they are going to upgrade themselves into gods. Um, Again, I realize that sounds silly. I realize it sounds like bad science fiction, but they are now saying this publicly. Uh, In fact, I mentioned Yuval Noah Harari. Um, He's a a professor in Israel. He's a homosexual activist. Uh, His latest book is called Homo Deus. And the premise of the book is that we are going to evolve now from homo sapiens to homo deus, into God-men. And he speaks very publicly about this. We're going to evolve into gods. Uh, of course, that, that is actually the oldest lie in the book. <laughs> you go back to Genesis chapter 3, Satan is very uncreative. That's the very same thing he told Eve, ye shall be as gods. Uh, you won't really die, right? These people think they're going to achieve immortality by fusing themselves with the computer system. 
Uh, and so that's where they're going with this. And uh, within the next few years, people are going to be hearing a lot more about this, right? Once they have the technology perfected, they're going to start marketing this to not just the American people, but people around the world. They're already starting to uh, put uh, microchips in people. So this stuff is much closer than we'd like to think. Uh, and I believe it is diabolical. I believe we need to resist it. Everybody's going to have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. And uh, better to start thinking about that right now. So do you think the United States would be a country that that would be one of the first to come out with this sort of technology. I mean, it it seems like maybe some other countries would be ahead of us on this kind of technology. Um, I mean, do you see the U.S. being one of the first? Well, the U.S. has historically been the global leader in the technology field, um, and that's true today. I mean, the, the communist Chinese, with help from spies and, and traders within the United States, have stolen a lot of the highly advanced technology that American companies and American researchers have developed. Uh, and so in some ways, uh, communist China is actually further along than we are. Um, you know, they, in a lot of schools in China now, they're putting these uh, headbands on, on children that uh, actually, according to the makers of these, have the ability to determine whether children are concentrating, whether they're focused. Uh, so these technologies are advancing very rapidly. Artificial intelligence is, of course, a big part of this. Um, I, I mentioned Sweden. Um, you know, I still go back regularly. I just got back from there a couple of weeks ago. Um, and there are thousands of people now all, of, all over Sweden who have a microchip implanted in their hand. And um, e even before COVID, this was actually already becoming a thing in different parts of Europe. They were marketing it as something cool. You know, you could only get into the VIP section of the club if you had a, a microchip to pay for your drinks. Uh, during COVID, that accelerated. Uh, there's a company in, in Sweden that was marketing uh, these microchips embedded in your hand as a, as a solution for your vaccine passport, where instead of carrying around you know, a QR code on your phone or whatever that would give you access, you'd just have it straight on your microchip. Um, and you can now pay for your train fare with your microchip. You can access your office building. And again, there are thousands of people who have already done this. So I suspect we'll probably see Western Europe, uh, communist China, and the United States advancing largely together. Uh, and, and this brings in a lot of other technologies, right? They want to try to force people into a corner. So they're probably not going to come out the next day and say, hey, you all need to take a, a brain implant and we're going to scan your brains. Although Klaus Schwab does say in his book on the fourth industrial revolution, the governments might have to start requiring some of this to determine whether you're a security risk or not. But um, what they're doing in China now with the social credit scores with the digital currency, right? Central bank digital currencies are going to be a critical part of this as they work to eliminate cash and force us all onto digital payments. It'll be much simpler to force people to uh, accept these new technological developments. But um, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of this advancing in California. We're going to see a lot of it advancing in places like Scandinavia, and we'll see a lot of it advancing in China. And I'm, I'm telling people, this may be the first time you've heard about this, but you will hear much, much more about it in the years ahead. And so, uh, you know, I encourage people to get up to speed on these technologies because they are here now and uh, they will be in your home and in your neighborhood much sooner than you think. So you talked about um, a social credit score. I mean, we kind of have that too, right? I mean, now with this ESG score, I guess that banks are give us, I mean, and that's just kind of based on, I mean, what, what is that based on? It's just based on how we vote or what, I mean, how, how do they even find out that information about us? 
Well, the social credit score in China, I, I believe that's the pilot project for the world. They, they take all sorts of data, uh, some of it seemingly rather innocuous, right? Do you, do you keep your cell phone properly charged? That actually factors into your social credit score in China. And the government knows all these things. Uh, do you pay your bills on time? Do you drive recklessly? Do you jaywalk? Um, but, but then much more troubling things, uh, you know, do you question the government on social media? Do you have friends or family who question the government? If you do, you're going to get dinged on your social credit score. And so that, I believe, is the pilot program for the entire world. Um, they first started rolling this out almost a decade ago in China. Uh, very few people picked up on it. I did write some articles about it early on and warn people that eventually they're going to try to do this uh, to the rest of the planet. Now, what we have in the United States now and across the West is ESG scores. I believe this is a precursor to a social credit score. Now, primarily, these are applied to companies. But uh, the, the mechanism is the same and the purpose is the same. As Larry Fink, the head of BlackRock, puts it, we need to force behavior change. And, you know, people think about corporations. It's kind of this abstract thing. But really, a, a company is made up of people. The employees are people. The customers are people. The shareholders are people. The management is people. So when we talk about forcing behavior change on companies, we're talking about forcing behavior change on human beings. And so the ESG score, E stands for environmental, uh, S stands for social, and G stands for governance. And people wonder, you know, wh why are all these American companies committing suicide like this? Why, why did Bud Light think it was a good idea to partner with, um, you know, Dylan Mulvaney, um, you know, very, very sad case. But wh why would Bud Light want to do that? Well, that helps them improve the S on their social score because they're promoting transgenderism. They're promoting inclusivity. Uh, if you want to improve your environmental score, uh, you know, buy some carbon credits from Al Gore so he can uproot another African village and plant some trees and, and sell carbon credits to, to guilty, silly Westerners. Uh, if you want to improve your governance score, uh, make sure you you have um, lots of different sexual identities and gender expressions on your board of directors. You know, forget whether they know anything about business or the industry you're in. Um, you know, hire people who, who are going to be um, transgender, quadrigender, asexual, spirit queer, whatever it is. Right. Uh, and so this is what's causing a lot of this cultural change that we're witnessing in the United States is coming through the ESG scores. And ultimately, they do plan to assign one of these to everybody. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this is already starting to happen. They don't have a name for it yet. And right now it's kind of diffuse. But if you look at all the data that Google and Facebook and Amazon and your appliances and your smart TV and your smartphone and the NSA, if you look at all this data that they're gathering, uh, as artificial intelligence capabilities increase, this is going to be fed through algorithmic uh, artificial intelligence systems. And it's going to determine whether you're one of those pesky people who uh, doesn't like the Great Reset or doesn't believe in the killing of unborn babies or doesn't believe in... Um, social credit scores, right? Uh, and so as they build these profiles on people, what will happen is people will start behaving in the way that the controllers want them to behave. Because what we'll see is the same as what we see in China. If your social credit score is high, you can get your kids a good education. You can get a good job. You can travel overseas. You can get a passport, et cetera. As your social credit score starts dropping, a whole range of employment options are going to be closed off to you. A whole bunch of educational options will be closed off to your children. And as it keeps dropping, you may not be able to leave the country. You may not be able to get on a train. And if it keeps dropping, you may find yourself in a re-education camp. And if you can't be re-educated, well, you know, we know what happens in China. They might cut your organs out of you and, and hand them to a Communist Party cadre or a Middle Eastern oil sheik. So uh, this is a very, very dangerous road. And what it does is it, it creates the perfect mechanism for tyranny. Because what happens in China 
China now, people wouldn't dare misbehave because, well, what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself isolated and totally controlled. Uh, and as we move toward digital currencies and all these other technologies, it's going to become, they hope, increasingly difficult to resist. And, you know, I, I'm fully aware of the fact that this all sounds like bad science fiction. I know there are people listening to this thinking, wow, that's crazy. That'll never happen. Folks, it's happening. It's coming. Uh, and if we don't actively resist, this is in your future. Not, not just your kid's future, not just your grandkid's future. This is in your future. So we've got to be paying attention to this. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people hear things like this and I think they they just think, oh, that that won't come to the US. That'll that'll be in Holland or you know, Sweden or kind of these like liberal places. But I was just in Whole Foods, which I never go into, but I just had to stop to get something really quick. I walk into Whole Foods and I was in the self-checkout line. And when I went to pay, it asked if I wanted to pay with my handprint. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and your hand, at Whole Foods, you can pay. It'll scan your your handprint and it's linked to your Amazon account. And so I'm telling people, I've been telling people about it and they're like, what really? I mean, that's, that's crazy. But when I saw, and then right after that happened, I saw a ad for whole foods and they were using that as like, Oh my gosh, isn't this amazing? It's so easy now to pay. You just pay with your hand. And I thought, well, they're just kind of buttering us up. I feel like for, you know, like, look how easy, oh, it'd be so easy if you just had a little chip, you could just put your hand everywhere. Um, I feel like they're all, it's kind of like they're experimenting with us and they're experimenting with like the acceptability, you know? That's exactly what they're doing. And, and this is now becoming ubiquitous. You know, if, if people haven't been to the airport lately, go check it out. I just flew in from Des Moines a couple of days ago. And uh, in the TSA line, it says uh, you, you can now use your digital ID. Um, as I was boarding uh, the last international flight, just like a month and a half ago, they, they I, I was with my family and they said, well, you have to scan your face to get on the airplane. I said, we're not scanning our faces. And it, 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 that's the end of the discussion. You're not scanning my children's faces. And they said, well, sorry, sir, it's obligatory. And I said, no, it's not. We're not doing it. And they finally let us on the plane. But folks, this is coming soon. If it's not already in your community, it's coming very soon. And, uh, you know, they're rolling out the central bank digital currencies all over the world. Uh, the Bank for International Settlements, which is orchestrating this process, says that over 93% of the nations in the world now have governments and central banks rolling out these digital currencies. Uh, these things are happening now. Again, this isn't something that's far off into the future. And yeah, and to, to give kind of an illustration of this, if, if you had told people even 15 or 20 years ago, that virtually every American and at some point soon, virtually every human being on the planet would be paying good money to carry a portable surveillance device to be able to tell the government who you were talking to, what you were doing, where you were eating, where you were driving, uh, how fast you were walking. Nobody would have believed that. That would have been absolutely ridiculous. And today, nobody even questions it. We just walk around with these portable surveillance devices. And, uh, and of course, that data is being gathered up. That data is being processed through artificial intelligence. It is 
is being used right now to market products for you and you know for the NSA to make risk assessments on you. But at some point, they're going to take it to the next level. And if you read uh, Klaus Schwab's book on the fourth industrial revolution, and he says this pretty regularly uh, in public, ultimately what they're going for, and to quote Klaus Schwab, who's one of the ringleaders of this, is what he describes as a fusion of our physical, our biological, and our digital identities. Um, and you know that sounds kind of like an abstract concept, a little bit hard to contemplate, but that's exactly what they're going for. Actually, Joe Biden signed an executive order, and you can still find it on the White House. It was on uh, September 12th of uh, 2022, uh, talking about the desirability of um, technologies that will allow them to write uh, circuitry for cells, to make cells and human biology programmable like computer systems. And you know, again, this sounds like just absolutely bonkers. But this is happening now as we speak. And so when you combine all these different technologies together, it becomes clear that what they hope to build here is a totalitarian technocracy that is almost inconceivable. It, it makes what George Orwell and, and Aldous Huxley wrote about in their famous books seem almost quaint by comparison. And, you know, am I saying that America is going to look like China in 10 years? Not necessarily. But are we moving in that direction? Absolutely. And, you know, the, the hallmark of communist Chinese dictatorship has been brutality and terror and concentration camps, mass executions, forced abortions. Um, but what they have figured out now is that that isn't all necessary to impose your will on people. If you can do it using this soft power through social credit scores, through technology, through face scanning and microchips and things like this, um, from their perspective, that's even better. You don't have to brutalize people. You don't have to throw them in concentration camps. You can just get them to do what, what you want them to do uh, voluntarily. And so uh, we are headed toward a dystopian future if we don't get involved. And so I want to encourage people to get involved, not just out of concern for the future that may be coming, but also out of a desire to leave a better world, a better uh, civilization for our children and for our grandchildren. Absolutely. So Alex, I don't know if you watched, um, came out a few years ago on Netflix. Uh, it was called The Social Dilemma. And it was, it's, it's actually really good. Um, it was all of these guys, uh, they're basically whistleblowers. These are people that were kind of on the ground floor of creating Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all these different uh, social media platforms. And it showed you kind of how these social media platforms consist or constantly like drag you back into them. So um, with their notifications and the AI and all this kind of stuff. So, there was this, this guy that actually created the AI technology that they use, but he said he didn't create it for social media. He created it for something else. And he's actually sad that these social media platforms are using his AI technology for, for that. Okay. And then the guy that created the AI said something that I can't, like, I can't even wrap my head around. He said, our AI is so advanced and it's, it's so expansive that even if we wanted to stop it, we couldn't. And that, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, that's, that like blows my mind. 
that essentially we kind of are living in this like I robot <laughs> society, I feel like, because I mean, it's like technology is controlling us. Yep, it is. And, you know, Elon Musk compared uh, the emergence of artificial intelligence to the summoning of a demon. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I don't know whether he was saying that tongue in cheek, but I, I think the point is well taken. Now, his solution to this, and he said this publicly, is that we need to merge with AI. Frankly, I have no desire to merge with AI. I think God created me as a human being uh, because that's what he wanted me to be, not somebody that was going to merge with AI. But um, what we're dealing with here is technology that is so powerful that even its own creators don't understand it. Its own creators can't control it. And, you know, I'm not an anti-technology kind of person. I mean, sometimes people get that impression because I, I still walk around with a dumb phone and people are like, oh, you, you're one of those Luddites and you, you don't like technology. That's not the, the thing. It, technology can be very, very good and very, very helpful and, and useful. I mean, technology has liberated mankind from backbreaking labor. It's extended our lifespans. It's made our quality of life far better. And so I'm very much pro-technology, but technology can also be used for evil purposes. And first of all, we have evil people running all over the world. If you don't believe me, look around the world. Look at human history. We've had how many genocidal mass murderers and maniacs take over countries and slaughter millions of people? I mean, it keeps happening over and over and over again. And so what we have here is these incredibly powerful technologies being developed in many cases by evildoers uh, with evil intent and um, and then letting this loose on the world. So could we use some of these technologies for good things? Absolutely. Could AI have useful applications that would help humanity? Absolutely. Are the people who are developing these technologies planning to use them for good purposes? Absolutely not. And I think that's self-evident. And so we need to have, I think, a national discussion here about what is going on, because as these technologies become so powerful that they can't be resisted anymore, uh, we have a real problem on our hands. Now, they're already starting to hint at this, right? If you listen to Yuval Noah Harari, he acknowledges the potential of some of these problems that we're talking about. But then his solution is, well, we just need a one world government to regulate this. No, right? That, that would be pouring gasoline on the dumpster fire. We don't need a one world government to regulate AI. What we need is some common sense here. We need people to be understanding these issues. We need more Christians to get into the technology space who understand these things and who can use and harness these technologies for good purposes and also make sure that we stay ahead of the technology developments that the evildoers are putting out to prevent the kind of catastrophic scenarios that, um, you know, we're, we're talking about here, AI that can't be controlled, that would be used for evil purposes. So uh, these are really, really significant issues. It's hard to talk about, especially for, you know, lay people. We didn't learn about AI. Most of us don't even know about computer programming. How are we supposed to understand this? But it is something that we're going to have to grapple with. And if we wait too long, it might be too late. So if you could tell people, you know, just a handful of things to do to kind of protect themselves or to protect their privacy or what, what would you tell people to do? Well, uh, that, that's a long list. I would start by saying, get on your knees and pray, uh, open up your Bible. <laughs> These are very interesting times. We need discernment. We need uh, help from the most high. Um, secondly, you know, protect your children. They are grooming our children right now, not just for weird sex things and transgenderism, but also for transhumanism. That is the, the primary mechanism right now being used to bring the next generation on board with this. Uh, protect your children from the social media stuff. Do not let your children play on Instagram and TikTok and fascist book and YouTube and all the rest. Don't do it. I, I mean, and, and if you insist, if they need it for some educational purpose, it should be under 
very, very close supervision from mom and dad. Uh, and then when it comes to protecting our own privacy, I believe this is critical. You know, one of the things that you learn from talking to dissidents from totalitarian societies is that things that you think are perfectly innocent might someday be used against you, right? There, there are more than 500,000 regulations on the books right now at the federal level uh, with criminal penalties attached. Uh, liberal attorney Harvey Silvergate said the average American commits three felonies a day and has no idea. So just because you think you have nothing to hide doesn't mean you have nothing to hide. In fact, you have a lot to hide. They can and they will use that against you at some point in the future if you stand in their way. So you do have something to hide. Even things that you think are totally innocent could be used against you in the future. So first of all, stop using the big tech companies to the largest extent possible. I mean, I, I haven't used Google for years and I would not use Google. Every time you type something into that search bar, that's being recorded that is tied to your identity that's being processed that's being data mined and that's going to be in your file forever right that is never going away all those things that you thought you were searching for that nobody knew about your you know whether it be porn or, or uh, abortions or you know it, whatever bad thing came to your mind that you thought you were going to search for and nobody was going to know google's got that <laughs> that is that is stored forever stop using google uh stop using to the largest extent possible all of these big tech companies now if you can get more value from them than you are giving them, there may be a time and a place. I, I still have a fascist book account and uh, I don't use it very much anymore. I, I've come back on Twitter now that Elon Musk is there, um, but only because I'm using it for my purposes. And to the extent that you do use these big tech companies, um, in every possible opportunity that you get, give them bad data. Try to mess up their system. Spell your last name wrong. Give them a fake birthday. Uh, give them a fake middle initial. Anything you can do to confuse their system so that as AI improves, as the algorithms improves, the system has trouble collating everything about you. So again, to the best of your ability, uh, stop using the, and there are good alternatives for all these, right? Uh, for search engines, I use uh, search.brave.com is really good. I use uh, Luxel is really good. Uh, DuckDuckGo, at least they don't spy on you. They've kind of gone woke, but there's a lot of alternatives out there. You don't necessarily need a smartphone. I know that's hard for people to believe, but I've gotten by just fine all my life without a smartphone. And you know, I, I, I can do it. I'm sure you can as well. Uh, I recognize that's not practical necessarily for everybody. Use cash everywhere you can. Stop. I, I know you get freaking flyer miles. I know you get this, that, and the other. And I, I'm tempted by that sometimes too. You know, if it's a business expense, I like to try to keep it all on one card. I, I know it's difficult, but try to use cash. Cash is untraceable. They want to get rid of it. Uh, and so the more we can use it, the more we can encourage businesses not to go cashless, the better off we will be. Um, and then, you know, again, just uh, be in prayer about this because this has a profound spiritual implications. It may have eschatological implications that we won't necessarily get into, but uh, this stuff is very serious, folks. And we need uh, discernment and humility and wisdom on all these questions from, from on high, or we're going to be confused and lost just like everybody else. What do you think about getting out of like big banks and moving to like credit unions or smaller local banks? I think that's a fantastic idea. Uh, there is right now an effort to bankrupt and destroy the smaller banks to get them all gobbled up by the big banks. Uh, and one of the reasons why is they're rolling out these central bank digital currencies. And so they, the Federal Reserve already has partnerships and pilot programs with all the big mega banks. And um, I think we're going to see a lot more bank failures. I think they deliberately want to try to cause uh, deposits to flow out of these little banks, out of these little credit unions into the Bank of America, Citibank, JP Morgan, things like that. But I mean, look at what these mega 
banks are doing to us now already, right? They're already debanking people. They, they just did a Dr. Joseph Mercola the other day. They shut down his bank accounts, his family's bank accounts, his employees' bank accounts, his company bank accounts. Look what they did to the Canadian truckers. They, I mean, the big banks froze all their money. So folks, and, and they're doing this now while we still have cash, while we still have uh, you know emergency escape routes here. What will they do to us when we don't have that option anymore? So absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, and it's not just banks. To the largest extent possible, Try to do business with people that share your values or at least don't hate you, right? Uh, there are a lot of good uh, options for learning this stuff. Uh, you know, you can go to uh, secondvote.com. There's a number of these things that'll tell you kind of where companies stand on stuff. Uh, so I try to use that, especially in my big purchasing decisions on investment, right? Don't leave your money parked with BlackRock. I mean, they, they are using your money against you. They're weaponizing your money to get companies to go woke. So uh, on all these fronts, so we really need to be active. We really need to be discerning. And uh, there are ways to do that. I recognize it's an inconvenience. It'd be nicer to just you know sit back and watch TV tonight. But hey, there are more important things. And quite literally, the future of your children and your grandchildren depends on it. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just want to thank you, Alex. Um, and I, I want you to tell people where they can follow you, how they can get information about you. Um, you do speak. So, you know, where can they find your schedule? Things like that. Oh, thank you so much, Abby. So I, I haven't published a speaker schedule for a few years now because Pantifa was starting to show up more and more at things oh, I was yeah. doing. Um, but if, if people are interested in that, um, you know, they can go to my website, libertysentinel.org. Uh, that's kind of the main hub for everything I'm doing. Um, I'm also on some of the social media companies, as I mentioned. People can sign up for my uh, weekly newsletter at libertysentinel.org. I'm also senior editor at the New American Magazine, a great publication. I write for a lot of different publications, uh, the Epic Times and, and a lot of other good ones. I do a weekly education blog, do a few shows. Actually, you were kind enough to uh, to join me on one of my shows, the Sentinel Report that I do every day. Uh, short show, 30 minutes. Uh, people can find that at my website and other places as well. And then you know, if you're interested in what's happening in the public schools and how to protect your children, um, I'm the executive director. It's, it's a volunteer position, but it's a, a real passion of mine. You can find us at publicschoolexit.com. And uh, we do free consultations every Friday. We've got a scholarship fund. We've partnered with uh, some of the greatest ministries in education all across the United States. And um, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Abby. Thanks for all that you are doing and uh, that you will continue to do. It's, it's an honor to be here. So. Uh, well, I, I think you're one of the smartest guys we've got out there talking about this stuff. So I just appreciate your voice and um, appreciate all you're doing to educate the public because I think there's just, there's so many people that just are unaware and sometimes it's willful, you know, I think sometimes people just, they don't want to know. Um, they want to live in ignorance, but you know, that's, we just, we can't do that any longer. I don't believe, I think that we have to open our eyes and sometimes we, sometimes that means that we just have to, we have to continue to push it in front of them. And you do that very well. And so I really uh, appreciate uh, your voice and everything you're doing. Well, thank you, Abby. I appreciate that very much and God bless you. And thanks for all that you're doing as well. Thank you. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show this week. And until next week, be safe out there and continue to talk about Jesus everywhere you go.